I want you to put your hand out and look at your hands. Just for a second. When I look at my hands, if I'm honest, I see my dad's hands. My dad also played the piano and uh, taught me much of what I knew about how you're supposed to play in church, at least. And so I remember seeing his hands as he played the piano. When I look at my hands, and the older I get, the more my hands look like my dad's hands um, and what I remember them looking like. So they're very important to what we do. And it's very difficult for us to do um, much without our hands. We use them to type on a keyboard every day. Some of you change diapers with them every day, or you plow with a shovel, or you have your hand on a vehicle, on the steering wheel guiding the a vehicle. I, have, I can't help but notice as the governor comes on and the various um, proclamations that take place, there's always someone signing for the deaf using their hands. Use our hands for lots of things. But as useful as our hands are, and as available as they are to our, um, as available and valuable as they are to our everyday existence, there still are just times when something is beyond the reach of our hand, just beyond our reach. I was in a store a couple days ago. <clears throat> Becky had given me a little list to go to a place. I'll. I'll, it's, it's, it, I won't give the name. It starts with Wall and ends with Mart. But um, that's where I was. And, of course, it seems like, I don't know if you husbands feel this way, but sometimes the list your wife gives you, it's, just, it's, it's the hardest thing to find in the store, whatever it is. Or they're out of it, and they've been out of it for a while. You know, you go to the store now, and many of the sh- shelves are just completely empty. And uh, so invariably, the, you know, I, that's... That's what she needs me to get. Well, she asked me to get some of those sterile wipes, handy wipes, or whatever they're called, and the little cylindrical type thing. Well, I get to the aisle, and lo and behold, I see the shelf is empty for the longest time. I thought, well, I'll still walk down there and look. Way up on the top shelf, way out of my reach, was one more container of those handy wipes. So you know what happened. The husband in me is not going to go home without that. So uh, if I'm perfectly honest with you, I just took a moment to look down the aisle this way and look down the aisle this way to see if there was nobody from Bethesda Church that I recognized. I didn't want to embarrass them by letting them see what their pastor was about to do. And yeah, I did it. I climbed up there. I climbed up there, and I can and then even after I climbed up there, I shook it and shook it until finally that thing tumbled over and I was able to catch it. Man, it was such a great sense of accomplishment. And wouldn't you know, and I, you know, I'm just going to ask for a little brotherly love here from the husbands in the fellowship. I go home, I'm so proud of it, and I get it out of the little sack and I plop it out there, and it was the wrong kind. She wanted another kind. So there's times you just think, I can't win for losing. So you can be sure that I said, if you only knew how much trouble I went to get, the, to get this one. So then we, we had a good laugh about it. Sometimes something is out of your reach, no matter how far you reach. Those of you who have been here, uh, we talked about the transition of leadership a few minutes ago back in 2011 uh, when that transition took place and and the new pastor was installed. One of the first sermons that I preached that I is one at least that I remember, um, it was talking about being a reacher. It was just sort of a how do I say, uh, something that was always had been significant to me 
and had become more significant to me um, the older that I had gotten. And that is when I meet somebody, I'm looking to see what is their, how much of a reacher are they? How much do they, what is their reach quotient? And I'm also challenging myself, Dan, what is your reach quotient? What, how much of a reacher are you? What does that mean? Does It means one's ability to reach out beyond themselves and even put aside themselves in order to um, uh, in order to reach to somebody else, and even to put somebody else's interests and concerns above them. Some of you will remember that sermon. I want to talk again this morning about hands to reach. Hands to reach. That's the title of my message today. Lord, give me grace as I do this. I want to communicate something of life to the people today. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hands to reach. With this in mind, I'm hearing a lot of noise in the room here. I'm not sure where it's coming from. (laughs) Um, With this in mind about hands to reach, I want to talk to you about three people from Scripture who have taught me important lessons about reaching. So three people. If you're you're taking notes, there'll be information on the screen for you to be able to see. The first one is Moses. Moses. From Moses, I have profoundly learned that my reach falls short. My reach falls short. I'll give you the biblical reference for that in just a second. We all have a reach. I am limited to the reach of my 5 foot 8 stature. That's how tall I've been as an adult, and that's as far as I can reach. When I need to reach for something higher... I have to ask for, for uh, Pastor Josh or Jason Myers or one of the tall fellows around to help me reach and get it. I kind of wondered where they were at Walmart the other day when I needed them, but, you know, I made it without them. You know what? I learned something. That is, they say that the width of your wingspan is the same as your height. I didn't know that. And I don't even know if it's true, but I've heard somebody say that. I heard that the other day. The width of your wingspan is the same as, as your height. Um, and those athletes who are blessed to have a wingspan greater than their height become the greatest athletes. And why is that? Well, think about it. How important is, uh, is your wingspan? If you're a boxer, you want to be able to box, and, and, and your reach goes beyond the other guy's reach. So who makes the best boxer? The one with the greatest reach. I, obviously, I can talk about basketball players. Their reach is extremely important, and we see that constantly throughout the game. Greatest pitchers in baseball are the ones with the greatest reach. The greatest athletes in just about any field are those who are tall and who can extend their reach. The truth is that reach in the natural is important, and it's helpful. But the lesson that I learned from Moses is that I am very guilty of applying my natural ability to reach to the supernatural. And if I'm not careful, I will begin to limit myself based upon my reach. Numbers 11 is where we're going today, where we see the story where the children of Israel have been receiving manna from heaven. This is how I'm going to make this point to you. Numbers chapter 11. They've received the manna, but they are now sick and tired of it, and they're ready for some meat. They need some some meat. And so we pick it up here, uh, 11 verse 18 of Numbers. 
Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. So now the Lord is going to give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days. But for a whole month, you're going to eat it until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. And you have wailed before Him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? 600,000 men? Seriously? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses this with this question. He said, is the Lord's arm too short? Is God's reach too short? And Moses we see in this passage, is doing the same thing that you and I do all too often. We are limiting our supply, limiting our resources, limiting our ability based upon our reach, based upon our uh, cognition, based upon our processing and, and how we think it could happen. And what God is saying to Moses is this, Moses, isn't my arm a little bit longer than yours? Isn't my reach just a bit greater than yours? And Moses, would you stop limiting my goodness in your life based upon what you think you're capable of doing? Now, it's not hard for me to have a little compassion for Moses because it's human nature to think the way he's thinking. Because let's be honest, you and I are accustomed to providing for ourselves, to ever be the fixer of our situation and, and for those around us, and resolving all the conflicts of our life. We're so used to doing that that we become dependent upon the natural, hello, to the point that we forget to calculate in, we forget to calculate in the supernatural, God's ability, God's reach. As a pastor, when counseling people, I will listen to their story and, and, I, and hear how the marriage is falling apart, nothing is working out right, and, and she presents it from one angle while he presents it from another. Or maybe the person I'm counseling is telling me how they are in a financial disaster or their adult children are, are just wrecks or whatever they're telling me. And often it will then lead to a point in the conversation that, that sounds like this. Wow, that's a tough story. Uh, uh, that's the, oh, that would be a difficult thing to walk through, and I, I am so terribly, terribly sorry. I'm terribly sorry that that's what, you, what you're facing. But then I will say, but you're leaving out one very important element in this equation. You're leaving out something that's very important. You have yet to talk about, or you have yet to insert God's ability to restore your marriage. You have yet to talk about God's ability to free you from the addiction that has you bound. You, you, you haven't mentioned yet God's ability 
to get a hold of your kids and, and, and turn their life completely around. He can do that, you know. Don't you believe? Yes. And I haven't yet heard you talk about God's ability to supply for the financial disaster that you, that you are facing. And I just want to say this to you, dear one, today. You, you may be working on a relationship and coming up short. You may be working on your finances and coming up short, haven't we all? You're working on your problems with the addictions that you face and coming up short. And I want you to know, God would say to you today, the reason that you're coming up short is because you're not allowing my reach to be used through your hands. That's what the Lord wants us to hear today. We keep trying to, to reach in life on our own. We keep trying to fix life on our own. And while God is saying to us, it may be your hand, but it is my reach that is going to get the job done. And I think when it comes to this understanding of God's reach through our hands, if you're like me, you've got to learn to check yourself every once in a while. We can, if we're not careful, we can default back to just understanding things only in the natural and not God's supernatural ability. And, and we have to check ourselves. And, and when we check ourselves, it then requires to make correction when needed. At that moment, when you begin to doubt yourself, when you begin to doubt your ability, that's when it's time to check yourself and say something like this. You know what? My stature isn't just my stature. I have reached beyond what's available to me right here in the physical. Because you know what, dear one? You are a child of God. God is on your side. God is working on your behalf. Even when you don't see it and when you don't feel it, God is working on your behalf. It's a good time to say hallelujah. Check yourself. Pull yourself back into alignment. Get a hold of yourself. Remind yourself. Stretch your faith. Speak in tones of faith today. It's not just you. You're not just limited to what you think you can see about yourself or even what you think about yourself. Because when you check yourself, you'll be reminded that you have the ability to pray big prayers to a big God and expect big results. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's true to every believer. And so why remind ourselves of that? Because we need to always remember to go beyond ourselves and go beyond our own ability. That's what I was talking to Jimmy about a while ago, and he, he referenced that at the end of that, of that interview. He said it was far beyond what he ever, anything he ever thought he would have done. You know what happened? He began to live and realize and experience his hand, but God's reach. His hand could only go so far. But with the help of the Lord, with supernatural power and strength and ability, God can reach and take it far beyond what His hand can do. We've got to be able to say, God, I'm not able, but you are. That's what I saw, the humility I saw in Jimmy a while ago. I'm not able, but God, you are. And then take the step. I want to challenge you in your prayer life this way. Why, why do I do this? Because I, I am guilty of the very thing I'm going to say that I, I want to challenge you about. I, I do it too. 
You know what? If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves saying, God, supply our need. God, give us, give us enough. Or, Lord, give us just enough wisdom. Give us enough faith. Lord, you know the finances. Give us enough finances. That's, we're, that's all we're asking for. Those aren't bad things to pray. That's fine. But I'm just wondering, why don't we start to pray in this year of more and more? Why don't we start to say, God, supply me with more than enough, more than what I, what I need, more than enough wisdom. Why? So that I can give it to others. God, give me Provide overflow in your provision in my life. Why? So that I can bless others. Enough is great, but I'm calling us today to step out in faith. This is a, a message to stretch your faith today. I'm calling us to step out in faith and say, not just enough, more enough, more than enough. More than enough. Because when you have more than enough, it's not to hoard it unto yourself, but when you have more than enough provision and wisdom and, and, and sustenance and strength, then you are able to share that and give it to others for the glory of the name of Jesus and bless those around you. Let's stop praying for God to give us just enough. Let's pray for God to give us more than enough so that we can impact the world around us for His sake. I mean, let's be honest. It's... <laughs> It's not you and me doing it in the first place. It may be our hand, but it's his reach. So I learned from Moses that my reach falls short. Second lesson is from Elijah. And the lesson I learned from Elijah, this one's a little tougher. To reach forward, you have to go back. To reach forward, you have to go back. Oh. I think it's a good thing to identify the season of life you are in. Many people like to journal. I'm not good at that, but many people do. Uh, in whatever way you do that, I certainly, I guess I have my own method of it, it's, it's of journaling. I keep track of things in a certain way, um, significant things that have happened uh, in my life. I do, I do uh, keep record of that. I think it's a good thing to be able to identify what season of life you are in and even to be able to put it on paper. It makes me think on um, during this time when we've been isolated and sheltered in place at home, Becky and I have gone through closets and drawers, and she even drugged me up to the attic the other day. And, you know, there's always things up there that could be better organized and, and um, boxes of stuff that's, you know... We began going through boxes of stuff that's from years and years and years ago. And she had me bring some of the boxes down, and I watched as she even went through piece by piece. And, and we just began to look back over seasons of our life and even of our childhood. And uh, she found my first grade report card, dear Lord. Um, and so all kinds of stuff. It's a good thing to go back and identify the season of life, particularly the one that you've just come through and to be able to document it. You might find I'm in a season of fruitfulness. Thank God. I'm in a season of blessing. It's wonderful. You might find you're in a season of hardship, a season of depression. Whatever it is, if you'll identify it, call it for what it is, it will actually help you to overcome it and deal with it and process with it. 
Some of you may even find yourself, when we talk about seasons, in the season I call the blank page, and that's when you've been reading a chapter, and you get to the end of that chapter, and quite often at the end of that chapter there's a blank page, you know, and so you've been sitting and you've been staring at a blank page because you, you finished one season and you're not quite yet into the next season, but you are, you're in the, the blank page stage of life right now. And when we read about Elijah, we see him in a season where he has just left Mount Carmel. He's just come out of a season. He called down fire from heaven. He overcame the prophets of, of Baal. He, he runs down off the mountain. Uh, Jezebel sends him a, a, a death threat. He becomes suicidal. He runs and flees. And now here he sits in a cave. And the winds come. But God was not in the winds. And then an earthquake comes. God was not in the earthquake. Then fire comes. But God was not in the fire. He's finished a season, and now he's at this blank page sitting in his cave. God, what do I do next? What's next for me? And Scripture tells us that God spoke to him in a gentle whisper. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 13. Gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And you know what the Lord said to him? After all that kind of bad news? Okay. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Some of you have just come through a season, possibly filled with both joy and sorrow, highs and lows, sunshine and rain, all those things. And you might be in the position of asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do next? What's, what's next for me? I want to know. And the last thing you want to hear is go back. Go back to where you came from. We're not wired that way. We are wired to say, no, I don't want to go back to anything. I want to go onward and forward. That's my plan, and that's what I want to do. But God tells Elijah to go back to the desert of Damascus. Go back to the desert of Damascus. And if you don't know what that means for you, then let me help you. I'm going to ask you to identify these things. What has brought you to this point? What has brought you to this blank page that you're staring at? What is it that has brought you through all the storms, all the struggles, brought you through all the pain, all the sleepless nights. And if you and I were standing face-to-face -face talking about this, and I ask you that, tell, tell me, what is it that's brought you to this point? My guess is, for most of us, the answer to that question would be this. You would go, well, hmm, what's brought me here? Um, Pastor Dan, uh, brokenness has brought me here. Yeah. Um, 
Humility got me to this point. I can say that's for sure. Um, feeling completely overwhelmed has brought me to uh, the point where I am today. Um, also, Pastor Dan, that, that sense of knowing that I need God more today than I ever have, that's brought me to this point. And the Lord says, exactly. Exactly. You will go forward into the next chapter of your life reflecting on the season that you have just come out of. Church, hear me carefully. God loves us too much to send us forward into our destiny until we have dealt with the pain of our past. He loves us too much to do that. Because God is going to use even the bad stuff, even the disappointing stuff, even the heartache and the sleepless nights. God is going to use that for His glory as He takes you on into the next season of life. Sometimes the instruction from the Lord is, you got to go back. And nobody wants to. We all want to go forward. And here's the truth. God wants us to go forward too. Elijah, he says, you're going to go forward and you're going to do some amazing things and you're going to anoint Elisha to be your successor. But before you do that, you've got a bright future here in front of you, but before you do that, I need you to go back. And For some of us today, God wants you to move forward. It's as if you've been staring at that blank page for a long time. But God loves you too much to send you into the future carrying that baggage from the past. He's asking you to acknowledge that. He's asking you to address it. He's asking you to forgive yourself. He's asking you to forgive those who have hurt you. He's asking you to overcome the pain, to be able to move beyond it, which you will never be able to do by simply going forward. Remember what God said to Moses? He said, what's in your hand? What do you have in your hand? Moses said, uh, just this, this stick. I just have this staff. It's all I got. And there are plenty of commentaries to tell us what that staff represents. Some will say, that uh, I've read it represents Moses' future. Others will say it represents all the miracles. Um, Still others uh, will make reference to the fact that it speaks of him being the shepherd to the children of Israel. But one theologian suggests this. He says that in some ways, the staff also represents pain. When Moses was sitting in his wilderness, looking at the stars at night, when he was between his destinies, he was at the blank page, when he didn't know what was next, all that staff represented was the murder that he had committed in, in Egypt. All that staff represented was all of his hopes and dreams that had vanished and he had to run and flee. That's what that staff represented to him. And now he's sitting in the, in the middle of the wilderness. And, and, and I wonder what the Lord is saying to you today. What do you have in your hand? What are you carrying? Well, it's nothing. It's just a stick. Now, if the Lord were to ask that of us, 
you and I would probably focus on the right now and the future. You would assume that he's asking you that from the vantage point of um, where he's going to take you and what's next for you. We would only reference it in the context of the now and the future. But I'm suggesting to you that God may be saying to you, what do you have in your hand? I have the staff. Don't forget about the pain of your past, not to torment you, not to hurt you, not to hurt you but so that he can use it for his ultimate purpose and for his glory. For the staff of, hear me, the staff of Moses did not only represent his calling, it also represented his calamity. You will never discover what God is taking you to until you stop running from. That's good. Let me tell you again. You will never discover what God is taking you to until you stop running from. He will not take you to your destination by running from something else. Go back and address the pain of your past. My last point, I see the time. Third lesson is from Elisha. And here's the lesson I've, the reaching lesson I learned from Elisha. When God gets my hand, I get his reach. When God gets my hand, I get his reach. The story is in the third chapter of 2 Kings. And there we read about three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Edom. And they all join forces to go out and fight the king of Moab. And on their way to the battlefield, on the way to their destiny, and on their way to that which God has, uh, that which God has called them to do, they run out of water. They can't provide water for their horses, for any of the other animals, uh, for the army of, of men. They, they have no water. And so they decide they're going to call on the man of God by the name of Elisha, wanting to know if... Uh, assuming he will speak on behalf of God, if in the eyes of God they are doing the right thing and asking if God will provide for them and, and help them to be victorious in battle. And, and what they seemed to be understanding was this, God, we've reached the limit of our stature. We can't reach any further than what we're reaching. And so they, they, they go to Elisha, 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. And I just happen to think, I don't know if the musicians and singers are in the room, but I just happen to think that there's a verse here that is a, a little nugget I want to throw to the musicians. It starts with, um, they're, they're going to Elisha, and, and here's what he says. Let me find it here. Elisha said in verse 14, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you these three kings that have come to you. Why would I bother you with you, except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah? And then he says, now bring me someone who can play the harp. So he's about to speak for the Lord, musicians, and he says, now bring me someone who will play the harp. And then I love this, while the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. You musicians, you who serve as Levites in the house of the Lord and leading in worship, it is important that we are faithful to what we do. It is important. It was important then. It's important now. Bring me someone who can play the keyboard. Bring me someone who can play the guitar. Bring me someone who can sing and will sing as unto the Lord. And then once that happened, the power and the presence of God came upon them. It's documented right here. Now let me get back to what I'm trying to say. Verse 16. 
The three kings have come to Elisha. And they basically said, we've reached the limit of our stature. We can't reach anything further. There's nothing that's beyond our reach. And so here's what Elisha says. Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water. How's that going to happen? So that you and your cattle and your animals can drink. That's what Elisha's telling them. And then he says, and I love this, this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. There's nothing to God, he's saying. And he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every, every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. I see three very quick things here that I want you to note. The first thing I see is the requirement. Elisha tells the three kings, yep, I'm going to get you through this, but this is just a small thing for the Lord. However, first you must obey the command of the Lord, and the command is dig some ditches. That's the first command. You know what, church? Sometimes you've got to roll up your sleeves, and the command of the Lord to us is get a shovel, start digging. You've got to get some blisters on your hand. That's the first thing to be required. There is a requirement here. Sometimes you've got to use your hands in order to get God's reach. Yes, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to provide for you. But you've got to dig some ditches. Now, the Scripture doesn't tell us how deep or how wide, deep and wide, to dig those ditches. However, it is an indication to me that the size of their provision was determined by how deeply they dug those ditches. How much they dug determined the size of their provision. If they choose to, to dig a two-inch ditch, when the provision came, guess what they got? Some of you feel like you've been digging and digging and digging. I know, digging for 10 years or 20 years, and you've been digging. But what this should say to you and to me if you, is if you'll keep digging, when the rains do come, that ditch is going to be really deep, and your provision is going to be very great. So keep digging. Keep fighting for your marriage. Keep fighting against that addiction. Keep trusting God with your finances. Keep digging. Keep tithing. Keep giving. Keep digging. And yes, sometimes it's hard. And you discover some concrete or some hard ground underneath the surface there, and you have to dig harder, but keep digging because God will give us His reach when we give Him our hand. Second thing I see here is not only the requirement, but the result. Verse 17, you're not going to see wind, and you're not going to see rain. Yet, that valley is going to be filled with water. So dig some ditches. The provision is going to come for you, but it will not come in the way you think it's going to come. It's not coming the way you think. Let's be honest. If God told you to dig a ditch, and God is saying water will be provided for you, wouldn't you assume, okay, water's coming. Told me to dig a ditch. I'd start looking up at the clouds, wouldn't you? Hmm, I don't see any clouds. I checked my app, my weather app. It says there's no sign of rain for the next few days. The lesson here is simple. When you dig and get a word of confirmation that God is going to bring provision, don't start guessing where you think it's coming from. Don't start trying to use your reach to figure out God's reach. Because His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And don't let your guess limit God's goodness. 
just because you figured out how it's going to happen, don't allow your thinking, your guess about it, to limit God's goodness to you. If you're saying to me, Pastor Dan, you just don't understand my situation and how tough it is, I'm probably going to say to you, I probably don't understand all about it, and I don't really need to know all the details for me to be able to declare this to you, that if you will extend your hand and if you will trust God, He will extend His reach to meet your need. That's what faith says today. That's what it is to operate in tones of faith today. It may not come from the sky. It may not come from your bank account. It may not come from your boss. It may come from a completely unexpected source, but His promise is that He's going to provide. Hallelujah. And honestly, church, the principle This principle that I'm speaking of is at the very core of the concept of giving. God, I don't understand how you're going to meet my need by me giving you 10% of my income. That just doesn't make any any sense to me. And, you know, everything has to make sense to me. However, because my faith is in you and my trust is in you today, I'm going to keep on digging. I'm going to dig and dig and dig. You need some rain and water? Dig a ditch. You need provision and God to come through on your finances? Give some money away. Really? Sounds crazy. Pastor, you want me to give it away? Yes, and I'm encouraging you to dig a ditch and dig it deep and to trust God. Acts 9.35, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. 2 Corinthians 9.6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Keep digging! Malachi 3 says, if you'll bring all the tithe into the storehouse, he will open up the floodgates of heaven. Keep digging. And we could add, and he will fill your ditches with provision of water. The requirement, the result, and finally, the reach. Elisha says, this is an easy thing for the Lord. I understand, kings, that you're in a tough situation, and I know you don't know how this is going to come out to your advantage, but... Uh, He's basically saying, I'll tell you this, if you'll dig a ditch, if you'll do your part, if you'll extend your hand, if you'll do what God's calling you to do, if you'll be diligent, if you'll be obedient, if you'll be a good steward of your finances, if you'll serve your wife and if you'll serve your family, keep digging, serve your wife and your family and you work hard at work, do what you know to do, then this is an easy thing for God because we're talking about the one who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could even ever ask or think. It is your hand, but it is God's reach. Here's the equation. You dig, He delivers. You dig, He delivers. Just concern yourself with the digging. Don't worry about what the, where the provision is going to come from. Stop worrying about how it's going to happen. Stop trying to figure it out. Learn to live by God's designed organic rhythms of life rather than the engineered schemes of your mind which will limit your reach. I know I'm out of time, but that's too good to just say once. Learn to live by God's designed organic rhythms of life rather than the engineered schemes of your mind, which will limit your reach. So the lessons today on reaching. From Moses, I learned that my reach falls short. From Elijah, I learned that to reach forward, you have to go back. From Elisha, I've learned When God gets my hand, I get His reach. Singers, musicians, if you want to come. Those are the individual lessons from those men. But there's one thing I learned from all three of them, and it's this. 
I need God more and more and more and more than ever before. I need him more. Have you ever caught yourself thinking something like this? You know, if I can just get through this, this thing we're going through right now, if I can just get through that, everything's going to be okay. I have. If I can just get through this season, I I know everything's going to be much better. And I do want you to be encouraged today, but I also want to be honest with you. Life has taught me that the next chapter, even if you're at a blank page today, the next chapter is probably going to be more challenging than the last one was. Probably. Which reinforces this idea that as each day, as each season comes and goes, I need Him more than I did yesterday. That's exactly what it tells us. And why is that? It's because He gets you through that chapter and that season, and then He elevates you to another level. He stretches you to something that makes you uncomfortable, but it is ultimately for your good and for His purposes. Things like He calls you to be a pastor when that thought had never entered your mind and you had another plan comfortably in place. He calls you to write a book when you didn't even think you could do that. Calls you to do something which far exceeds anything you ever thought possible to do. Let me just go ahead and tell it to you like this. In the kingdom of God, you should always feel like you are in over your head. In the kingdom of God, you should always, it's the norm to feel like you're in over your head. Quit trying to find the shallow end. It's not there. He's called you to the deep end. He's calling you to the things which are greater than you are able to do on your own. So that every single day of your life, you are in a position to say, God, I need you more today than I did yesterday. Father, I pray for the people of God known as Bethesda today. I ask your great grace to be upon them, to receive the word that I believe you've given us for today. Let us understand these lessons on reaching. Those who are facing a blank page today, in that season, give wisdom, give direction. Let your presence envelop them today. Let them hear the still small voice that says, this is the path, walk ye in it. Send them forward, Lord, even if they have to take a look back. So I commit Bethesda to you today, and I ask your great grace to be upon them. And I say it for the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen.